I'm a pinch hit preacher this week. Ethan was supposed to be here, and I got a call this week. So you're supposed to be able to preach, pray, or die at any time. (laughs) The problem with our favorite Bible passages is that we think we know what they mean. But sometimes we don't, even with Jesus' parables. The two simplest mistakes to make when we read the parables is to identify with Jesus, which is the very thing we're not supposed to do. The second is to identify with the wrong person in the story, which we have done for 2,000 years in this parable. So we always identify with the good character, and we come away winning. One of the the Bible's most profound questions appears in our passage. Who is my neighbor? Jesus asks that same very question with a slightly different form at the end of the parable when he says, which of the three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers, bandits? The answer Jesus gave to these questions is wrapped up in a little parable that I think we need to unpack more carefully, and in so doing, we may all feel uncomfortable by the time we're done. Jesus has a habit of doing this. So let's look at the characters. The first one is the lawyer. Expert in the law translates the Greek word for uh, lawyer. Stereotypes are useful at times, aren't they? Luke uses one to open up this story. In Luke, a person designated as an expert in the law, a nomikos, or a lawyer, is entirely negative. Here is a passage in Luke 7.30, which reads, The Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves. That's pretty clear. Stereotypes are useful except when they aren't. The problem with stereotypes about Jewish lawyers is all too prominent in our culture today, not least in our neighborhood. Too many Christians have shifted from the one stereotype into thinking that all rabbis are like this lawyer, that therefore all Jews are like this lawyer, and the next thing is we are staring in the face of our own anti-Semitism. Look again at the passage. The lawyer has a very, very serious question. What do I need to do to enter into the kingdom? Jesus, in true rabbi-like fashion, asks with two questions. What is written in the law? What do you read? The lawyer answers Jesus with a profoundly biblical answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. It doesn't get any better than this. And Jesus says to him, do this, and you will live. All this is positive and good. But then the lawyer acts the part. Being a lawyer, he asks Judge Jesus, for clarification. Who's my neighbor? 
What a profound question. Surely this question means, who is actually not my neighbor? As Amy Jill Levine, a Jewish New Testament scholar who's not a Christian, has often said. I've learned lots from Amy Jill Levine about this parable. Okay, here's where we have to identify with the right people. The lawyer is you and me. Okay? You're not the Samaritan. We'll get there. We are the lawyer. What do I mean by this? I wonder if we also find ways to escape consistency with what we believe. I'm going to say something that some might not like, but I'm not changing my mind. Okay? If we are committed to pro-life as evangelical Christians, could we not include on our platform something about gun control, something about the profligate growth of guns in our culture, of handguns and assault weapons? Isn't that pro-life? I think it is. I'm not suggesting for the lawyers in our midst that we get rid of the Second Amendment. I would if I could, but I have no chance. I'm wondering if Christians might establish a better way than the Second Amendment, that they might live into a culture that makes the gun culture unacceptable. So the lawyer asked a question with a hidden inconsistency, and we pointed our fingers at him, and then we discovered that we might just be the lawyer ourselves. To shame the man out of his arrogance, Jesus told a hospital-naming parable. The Good Samaritan, we call it. I make a point here. When we call the man the Good Samaritan, we are racially profiling that most Samaritans aren't good. Okay? So we have called it the Good Samaritan. Jesus didn't. Stereotype it continues with the priest and the Levite. Stereotypes are useful, except when they aren't. A priest and a Levite is a stereotype that we point fingers at in this story and so excuse ourselves like the expert in the law. In this parable, there are two sides, the priest and the Levite on one side and the Samaritan on the other. Neither the lawyer nor the disciples of Jesus are going to identify with that Samaritan. And neither should we. To hear this parable well, we need to identify with the lawyer and the priest and the Levite. But it takes some humility, doesn't it, to admit that we're more like the priest and Levite. A priest and a Levite are stereotyped by many as Jewish, heartless, legalistic, religious leaders who are obsessed with purity laws. Many of us have believed that view. I have myself. I even wrote about this one time. It's a bit embarrassing. Yet Numbers 19 and Leviticus 21 tell us about priests who are not to touch dead bodies. The Lord said to Moses in Leviticus 21, a priest 
must not make himself ceremonially unclean. The laws of cash root for any of his people who die, except for a close relative, and so defile himself. Did the priest and the Levite choose to walk around this man on the path because of purity laws, to avoid corpse impurity? Very doubtful. Think about the injured man. He was not dead. Luke 10.30 says he was only half dead. Now, half dead also means half alive. And if you're not totally dead, which is the only kind of dead there really is, you're not unclean. So this cannot have anything to do with corpse impurity. Furthermore, the purity laws are about the temple. The priest and the Levite were headed not toward Jerusalem, but away from Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, purity obtains. On the road to Jericho, you can get unclean, take a bath, and the next day you'll be fine. So this has nothing to do with purity. This has to do with the fact that the right guys with whom everybody listening to this story identified did not do the right thing. I'm now going to suggest something that we need to hear well. In this parable, most of the audience, if not all of it, not only identifies a bit with the lawyer, but they identify with the priest and the Levite, and Jesus has us on the hook. Because we have to identify with the priest and Levite or the story is ruined. He wants us to identify with the priest and Levite so he can implicate us in a lack of compassion for those in need of passing by the wounded. Now we turn to the Samaritan. In very common listings in the Bible, there are three groups, priests, Levites, Israelites. Jesus told the story about a priest and a Levite, and the next character in the story should be an Israelite, and Jesus wipes out the Israelite and puts a Samaritan in its place. Everybody was stunned. Jesus was an iconoclast, and he speaks not of Israelites, but of a Samaritan. A Samaritan in the first century for priests and Levites and lawyers and followers of Jesus and anyone from Jerusalem was the ethnic, religious, shunned enemy. Even the disciples of Jesus make this kinds of comment in John chapter 4. The Samaritan woman said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? And John adds in parentheses in the NIV. There was no parenthesis in Greek. Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Not only is the Samaritan the enemy, but Samaritans had just rejected the apostles of Jesus at the end of Luke chapter 9, verses 51 to 56. In fact, they come back to Jesus and report how poor the response was in Samaria, and they want to bring down fire from heaven, ash in a flash. That's their mentality. We want to identify with this Samaritan because he looks so good. 
but Jesus will not let us. The Samaritan is the enemy. We are the established. We are the lawyer. We are the priest. We are the Levite. We're the apostles who want ash in a flash who need to learn from the Samaritan. What did the Samaritan do? He had compassion. Important word in the Gospels. He had compassion on a wounded survivor, which turned into actions. He cared for the wounded. He poured on that man oil and wine. I have no idea what wine's going to do for someone who's injured, but they're first century people. And he transported the man to an inn, and he paid for all his expenses. This we can do. We, in many ways, right now, in our neighborhood, in Highland Park, in our church, and in Lake County, can respond to the wounded the way the Samaritan did, not the way the priest and the Levite did, and not as the lawyer did, and not as the apostles did. The point is, Jesus could not have been bolder. Everyone was stunned by this story who heard it. In fact, people were offended more than they were stunned. He took their precious leaders and exposed their lack of compassion. He exposed the lack of compassion, first of a lawyer, second of two proponents of God's will, a priest and a Levite, and third by the apostles, a group of missioners who had revenge on their minds. We are to identify ourselves with the missioners, with the priest, the Levite, and the lawyer. Jesus' parables frequently end with what scholars call the nimshal. A parable is a mashal, and a nimshal is the interpretation. He responds, he finishes it off with a question, which is brilliant. Which of the three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? You know, he's saying, answer it. Don't sit there on your hands. Answer it. Which one was the neighbor? And the lawyer answers the question, as he should have, but he almost gets it right. What does he say? The one who had mercy on him. Seems pretty good. How about if he just says, the Samaritan? But he didn't. He didn't even want to admit it when he knew what was right. Jesus has us right where he wants us. Go and do likewise, he said. Having the mostly right answer is the beginning. The right answer is the action, the action of compassion on the wounded. Perhaps we all need to pause right now and to curl our pointy fingers right back into their palm and ask ourselves, am I doing likewise right now? He told us this parable so that we would learn to do likewise, to learn that those who attended the wounded in Highland Park did the likewise, to learn that those who offered a shoulder, a hand, a letter of comfort to those who were wounded did likewise. We can do likewise today if we will just learn from a Samaritan.
a shunned enemy. Quite a story, eh? 